Here I am making my yearly visit. I consider it a privilege. I consider it a blessing. Even though the time span between us is huge, yet, believe it or not, I'm your brother. And I know for sure you are my sisters and my brothers. So we fellowship based on this. I believe we, I can say with assurance that probably everyone in this room has believed into Christ, the Son of God, has called on the name of the Lord, and in so doing has received Him deep into their being, into their spirit. Their sins, your sins have been forgiven. You have been born of God in your spirit. You are a child of God. Romans 8.16 tells you the Lord's spirit right now witnesses with your spirit that you are a child of God. Nothing can change that. Your eternity has been settled. No matter what happens between now and when eternity starts, you can be certain you will be with all the believers. You will be part of the bride, the wife of the redeeming God who is also a city called the New Jerusalem. You have been born of God. You cannot become unborn. You may be assured of your salvation. No matter what happens to you, no matter what you do, you are saved forever. Amen. So what I want to share with you is about what kind of life will you have between now and then? And there are two periods of time arranged by God between now and eternity. And the Bible calls these ages, meaning periods of time. So the present age, the age of the church, and the age full of God's grace began when Jesus was born. So we're close to the end of this age. It very likely will end while you're still here. Whether I'm still here, that remains to be seen. That is when the Lord Jesus will return to the earth. And then another period of time, another age will start. That will last a thousand years. 
And that's called the age of the kingdom. I repeat, all of us have received eternal salvation. But tonight, I assure you, based upon what he has put in my heart and in my spirit for you, the Lord is very interested in how you will live in this age and where will you be in the kingdom age. So what I will try to do is to present two important thoughts. I'll give the first one very shortly. Then after about 18 or 20 minutes, I'll give you the second one. With this prayer, the prayer has already been offered. The prayer has already been heard. And the prayer has already been answered. And the prayer is that these two thoughts, you will remember your whole life. Your whole life. No matter where you are five years from now. No matter what you're doing ten years from now. These two thoughts will be written on your heart. The Spirit will remind you of them. So the first thought is this. Live for God's purpose. Live now, not tomorrow. Live here, not somewhere else. For God's purpose. We all know and have some understanding that our Lord Jesus is a special kind of person. He is God who became a human being. He became a real human being. And he developed in his mother's womb and was born as an infant. And in his human life, he had a normal growth and development. The fact that he is God doesn't mean he didn't have a human development that we all have. And something happened to him at the age of 12. Because before God, the age of 12 is a turning point. It's a very important year. Because by this time, your conscience is fully developed. You, are, you know you're responsible for your own living. And you are able to be saved and know what and understand what happened. Jesus had four brothers. And he had sisters. We're not told how many, at least two. So there were at least 
seven children in the family. He was the oldest. They were very poor. His father was a carpenter. And they were Jews. So three times a year, they would go to Jerusalem for the feasts. And when he was 12, he went with them. And his parents and many others were on the way home. And after about two days, they couldn't find him. And they're looking for him. Where is he? So they were two days out from Jerusalem. Now they had to journey two days back. And three days later, they found him in the temple talking with all these priests and Bible scholars called scribes. And they said, son, what are you doing? Why did you leave us? And he said to them, why are you looking for me? Do you not know that I must be in the things of my father? He was 12. Now as a boy of 12, he was old enough to understand what he was living for. But because he was 12, he didn't say, you go back to Nazareth. I've got a pad here in Jerusalem. I'm going to be here. No, he was 12. He went back home and was obedient to his parents. I mention this because some of you here are 12. Others of you are 16 or 17. If you're 17, don't look down on the 12-year-olds. Five years ago, that's where you were. But I begin with this age because I'm assured it's not too soon and it's not too young for this thought to be planted in your heart. Live for God's purpose. So a little background, then I'll start giving you some verses. And I hope the serving ones would note the verses because I would encourage anyone who has the interest this week just to read the verses sometime. Okay, why is there a universe? Why does anything exist? There is one verse in Revelation that tells us. Chapter 4, verse 11 says, All things were created because of God's will. And God's will is what God wants. God wants something. And because he wants something, he created the universe, he created our galaxy, he created our solar system, he created the earth, and he created you because he wants something. 
And with God's will, there's something that the Bible calls God's good pleasure. What makes him happy? What brings joy to him? And we use the expression, the desire of God's heart, to explain this. So God wants something, enough to create a universe, and he wants something that will bring joy to him. So based on his will and the desire of his heart, he formed a plan. He formed a purpose. And God's purpose is his determined intention to have what he wants. That is his purpose. And what he wants is to have on the earth millions of people who are filled with Christ, who live in oneness, and who express Christ together. That is what I, what I just mentioned. That is what we mean by the church. The church is a group of people who are saved, who have Christ in them, who are in the oneness of the believers, and who express Christ corporately. This is what God wants. And his purpose is his plan to have such a church on the earth. Now I pause here. I mentioned there are two ages between now and eternity. So we have to pass through these two ages before we're in eternity forever. So in this age, the question is, Will you or will you not live for God's purpose? Let me tell you the truth. One thing I respect very much about young people is they want to know the real truth. And they want to meet the real situation. So I will tell you the truth. There are tens of millions of saved persons on the earth tonight. Very few, maybe in the thousands or tens of thousands, are living for God's purpose. Very few. But by the Lord's mercy, those who serve you, your parents who love you, who are raising you, they're among the few to live for God's purpose. So what does that mean? 
Well, the first part of that answer is this verse, the first of many to come, Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. I'm reading the important part. God saved us and called us with a holy calling according to his own purpose. God saved you for his own purpose. He created you for his own purpose. And he created you in a way he didn't create anyone else, even if you're a twin. You're so much like your twin, but still you are you. There is no one, and there will be no one ever just like you who can replace you. And God created you in a particular way. And we need to learn eventually to stop comparing ourselves with others, measuring ourselves by others. You are you. So God created you with a certain kind of mind. You may be very good at math. You may be very good at learning languages. You might be an excellent athlete. You might be interested in mechanical things. You might like drawing. This is part of the way God made you. Now you're in the stage where God wants to develop you by education and training according to the way he made you. So somehow he's going to let you know what you like, what you're good at, what you're interested in, and you will follow that to develop the person God created. But the verse we just read told us that God did two things with us. First, he saved us for his purpose. He saved you for the church. He saved you for his will. He saved you for his heart's desire. He saved you so that you would be a part of the carrying out of his purpose. This is why we were saved. Not only to be sure we have eternal life and do whatever we want in this age. That's what the millions are doing. They do what God allows them to do, not what God wants them to do. But there is another point in this verse that says God saved us and called us with a holy calling. 
Some of you may know a little bit about Samuel in the Old Testament. His mother, before she had any children, was desperate to have a son. She prayed desperately to the Lord. And she said, if you give me a son, he will, I will give him to you from the time he is born. He will be separated to you. So Samuel was given. And at an early age, he was with the priests. And when he was still a boy, one night, the Lord came inwardly and called him by name. He didn't hear a voice in the air. It's, it's an inward matter. When I was 16, decades ago, the Lord called me inwardly. And eventually, after 30 days of resisting. So, if you do some resisting, I won't be shocked. The Lord will not be disappointed. You're being honest. Now, tonight, 63 years later, I am still governed by the calling that came when I was 16. And so it's up to the Lord of what he will do inwardly. So what does it mean further to live for God's purpose? Well, there are two things that go together all the time. It means that wherever you are in your human life, you're in high school, you're a senior, a year from now, you might be a UCLA, or you'll go to UT in Austin, or wherever, wherever you are. Then four years later, you might come to the training you might go to medical school. You might get married. You might become a Navy SEAL. We don't know. But on one level, you're just being a normal human being. Look, when you go to school on Monday, you don't wear the funny uniforms that the full-time trainees have to wear. You don't put on a white shirt like this and a tie. You don't have to be weird or goofy or strange. You're just a normal person developing where you are. Now, to give you an idea of how quick the future will come, the last 10 years of your life went by pretty fast. Ask your parents. They have the feeling they whizzed by. But if you live for God's purpose, 
whatever your age is, wherever you are, and whatever you're doing, in your heart, you love the Lord and are living for his purpose. And every decision you make is according to God's purpose for you. And may the Lord put this in your heart, especially 10 years from now or less. A number of you in this room may make a decision concerning marriage. That decision you want to make as part of your, part of your living to God. This man, this woman that I'm involved with, does he live for God's purpose? Does she live for God's purpose? Am I just like an unbeliever falling in love with someone? And you realize, no, my marriage will be for God's purpose. My education will be for God's purpose. If I'm an auto mechanic, if I am a career military person, if I become a lawyer, if I become a nurse, I become any other kind of profession or trade for my living, that is so I can live a normal life. What I'm really living for is God's purpose. Now, here's what happens. For those who live for God's purpose, they make a certain decision. And they don't make it when they are stirred up emotionally. They make it after much thought and some prayer. And they decide what will they do with the following verse. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where Paul says, I appeal to you by the compassions of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice so that you may prove what the will of God is. It's easy to say, oh, I am for God. I, I want to live for God. N nothing wrong with that. But Paul is very practical. He didn't say, present your mind to God. He didn't say, present your heart to God. He said, present your body to God. Those who live for God's purpose, they realize that right now, to say the obvious, we are living our human life in our physical body. And where our body is, determines, to a large extent, how we live. 
This is Saturday night in Orange County. Where are the bodies of most young adults on a Saturday night? What are they doing with their bodies on a Saturday night? If they go to a rock concert, how are they using their bodies? So those who live and choose to live for God's purpose, they present their body to the Lord, which involves everything related to them and all of their time. Because where your body is in space, that's a certain period of time. Like tonight, your body's here. It might be here till about nine o'clock. I just mentioned this a little. If your body's really tired while I'm speaking, take a nap. It's okay. Once I fell asleep while I was actually speaking. So if I can fall asleep on myself, how can I find fault with someone who falls asleep? Your body's still here. You'll wake up. When you wake up, just pick up where you were before. And so to live for God's purpose, this will determine how the Lord will evaluate you when you meet him. You're not too young to know the truth. You're not too young to know the reality. The Lord Jesus, as the Son of Man, will come back. Before he comes back, all believers who have ever lived will appear before him to see whether or not they will receive a reward. And the reward is being with him in the kingdom during the next thousand years. Only those who live for God's purpose here and now will hear the Lord say to them on that day, well done, well done. You lived for God's purpose. You lived for the Father's will. You cared for the desire of God's heart. In every stage of your life, when you were healthy, when you were sick, when you were single, and when you were married, before you had children, and after you had children. When you had enough money to live and when you didn't know how you would live the next day. In every situation, deep within, you lived for God's purpose. And the Lord knows this. And he also realizes what Paul said. And again, I'm telling you the truth. In Romans 12, 1, Paul says, present your body 
as a living sacrifice. So it's a sacrifice. And once you do this, certain things will happen. You want to do this? The Lord says, I want you to do that. And you say, I want to go there. And the Lord indicates, I want you to be here. Or you may say, I love him. The Lord says, I know. But I'm going to put love in your heart so that you love this brother. I don't like that brother. I know you don't like that brother. I'm not going to make you marry someone you don't like. But you're going to end up really liking him. And you'll be thankful when you see how this other brother ends up. So all of this is for you and only you to decide. God will not decide for you. Your angel will do a lot to protect you. I've kept my angel busy a number of times to keep me around. Your parents cannot and should not make basic decisions for you. Old co-workers like me, we're not going to do that. The leading brothers or elders in the church, they won't do that. This is up to you. When the Lord Jesus was 12, he decided what he would live for. And he only lived to be 33 and a half. Because his life was unique. So this is the first thought. Live for God's purpose. Live, I'm not saying behave. Live means your human living is for this purpose. Your education is for this purpose. Your decision concerning whether or not you're going to become involved with the opposite sex right now or wait until you're in your early 20s will be determined by whether or not in this matter you are living for God's purpose. And it's your call. It's your decision. Then what is the second matter? This will require more explanation and more application. Because without the second thought, living for God's purpose is impossible. It will be impossible for you. And it will be impossible for any believer alive right now. So the first thought, live For God's purpose. The second thought. Be saved. From this generation. My brothers and sisters. You all desperately need. To be saved. When Peter. 
was preaching the gospel for the first time in Acts. This is what he said in chapter 2 of Acts, verse 40. He said to them, Be saved from this crooked generation. You're saved eternally. Eternally. Nothing can change it. You can't lose it. But you are a part of a generation. And in a very practical way, your generation is very different from mine. When I was in high school, it was a serious, you got in serious trouble for smoking in the bathroom. Now, who's talking about smoking? It's whether or not you've got a gun, whether you've got drugs, whether you've got opioids, whatever it is. It's not the same. So why... Do, we, do you need to be saved from the generation in which you are living? You can't go anywhere. This is the time you're living in. You can't change your age. This is your age. You can't change the world. California is the most ungodly and degraded state in the United States. There's no doubt about it. And every day, through your phone, through your iPad, through your laptop, anything and everything from this generation flows into you. We can't escape it. Even the Lord, when he prayed for us, he said, I do not pray that you would take them out of the world. I pray that you would keep them from the evil one. Now I need to point out something to you directly from the Lord Jesus. In Luke chapter 17. And we'll start at about around verse 26. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so will it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day in which Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. The Lord is saying this, okay, remember Noah's generation. It was a lawless generation. The earth was filled with violence. Even in the things you watch, the games you play, 
the culture you're aware of, is it not filled with violence? When I was a little boy, my mother took me to see the movie Bambi, Walt Disney movie, Bambi. And in that movie, there's a very sad event. There was a forest fire. And Bambi's mother was killed in the fire. And all of us, you're maybe six or seven years old, when we saw that, we cried. We just cried. Then you go forward 50 years, you show Bambi to another generation. No feeling. No feeling. That shows a hardening of the human feeling. So in Noah's time, there was no human government. It was lawless. It was sinful. The Lord examined the hearts of men and women. He knew all of their thoughts were sinful. So he decided to judge the whole generation. But Noah found favor with God. And Noah was told to do two things. To build an ark. And to announce righteousness to his generation. But what happened is, no one listened to him. They kept on living as if there would never be an end. And one day Noah and his family entered the ark. And the flood came. And every living thing on the earth was destroyed. This will happen again. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days just before the Lord comes back. These days. So Noah's generation had a choice. You could either obey the word of righteousness and participate in building the ark and be saved by that ark from the judgment on your generation and be brought into another age. Or you would just laugh and mock like most comedians today. Just mocking, mocking, laughing until the last day. And then the generation is wiped out. Many years ago, those of us that were serving with and for Brother Lee at Living Stream had a lunch meeting together with him. A few dozen of us, all that were serving in any way, ushering, helping with parking, proofreading. And Brother Lee wanted to speak a word to us. And he first expressed his appreciation 
for our service. Then he opened his heart. I'll never forget it. He said, I'm concerned. You will be like those at Noah's time. Some of them might have helped him. Noah, come on, let, let me help you carry the wood. Let's, let me give you a hand. But they didn't participate. They were not in the ark. And he told us, not worldly Christians, you might be doing these things for the ministry, but you're not participating in it. You won't become part of it. These are powerful words. I may be wrong. I emphasize, when you get up Monday morning, you just continue the normal life you have as a student. One normal stage after another. But we are nearing the end of this age. And the age is going to get worse. More violent. More lawlessness. More hatred. More enmity. Until the end. And the late night comedians, including Saturday Night Live, which I never watch, I just know it's there, they'll just mock. They'll mock us. They go online and they mock us. I don't care. I don't care what you say. I know what the situation is. We're living in a generation like Noah's generation. Then he went on in Luke. Likewise, even as it happened in the days of Lot, they were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, and they were selling. They were planting, they were building. But on the day in which Lot went forth from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It's interesting. It doesn't mention marriage. Because Sodom is like San Francisco. And you just watch the news in the years to come. What will happen to San Francisco? You just watch. It's today's Sodom. Now you apply to go to the UC University system. What's your gender? In the old days, male or female. God created man, male and female. Now there are dozens, dozens of genders. What perversity. It creeps down to the elementary schools. Oh, you can decide what you are. You can be a he today. You can be a she tomorrow. This is the generation. Same-sex marriage, this and that. This is part of the generation. I don't have to say much more. This is the generation in which we're living. It is a crooked and perverse generation. 
if you do not decide to present yourself to the Lord and to live for God's purpose, this means the tide, the current of this generation will carry you wherever the enemy wants that current to go. You will either love certain things in it and gladly participate in certain things in it, or you will be passive. But there's no neutrality. We either are living for God's purpose, for God's will, or we are living the same as an unbeliever in this generation. There's no Switzerland, meaning there's no neutrality. So we need to be saved from this generation. And the Lord himself spoke these words. Now let me tell you one thing more about the context. This may sound really mysterious. And just let it be mysterious. Eventually, it will be very important to you. The Noah's generation continued until one day he entered the ark. The entrance was closed and the judgment came. And that ark saved Noah and his family from that judgment and brought them into the next age, symbolizing the kingdom. The context of Matthew 17 concerns the Lord's coming. And certain believers that are living on the earth toward the end of this age, but they've been living to the Lord, suddenly they'll disappear. They'll be gone. That's equal to Noah's entering the ark. That's equal to Lot's leaving Sodom. They will be taken by the Lord himself in rapture. And then immediately after that, the tribulation begins and the judgment starts on this generation. So we are living for God's purpose in the generation in which we are. In the world as it is. The Lord knows this. So what he wants to do is two main things regarding living to him. He wants to make real to you how enjoyable he is. How sweet, how precious, how dear it is 
to have fellowship with him. He wants to be your enjoyment all the time. In the Old Testament, there's a book called Song of Songs. If you read it for the first time, you may not know what's going on here. Well, it's a love story. Don't be afraid. It's a love story. And you know what? The young seeker, who knows? Very young woman says, your love is better than wine. See, at my age, it's easy to say, I'm aware of all the wine of worldly enjoyment. I've seen it all. I can say, loving the Lord is better than wine. But for you to be able to say to a friend at lunch, loving the Lord Jesus is better than any wine you want me to drink. That is powerful. That means you find how enjoyable the Lord is. Every day he wants you to come to him so he can be enjoyment to you. And one practical way to do this is to find words and eat them. You know what I'm referring to? Jeremiah, a prophet in the Old Testament, chapter 15, verse 26. He said, your words found, your words were found, and I ate them. So you're just reading the Gospel of Mark and you come across this verse and it touches you. So you eat it by praying. Then Jeremiah said, your word became to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. I don't want to now get, I'm not going to get real serious with you. I'm not going to do that. But I know what suffering is. I know what death is. I know what a broken heart is. I know what sorrow is. These are not strangers. But none of them can come anywhere close to stopping the word from becoming the joy and rejoicing of my heart. I have a happy, rejoicing heart just by eating words. Then regarding being saved from this generation. I've already mentioned presenting your body a living sacrifice. That's regarding living to God. So the final point is this. If you want to be saved from this generation and live for God's purpose, you need to join us, the older saints, in building the ark. We are building the ark. For the last 24 years, I've been traveling throughout much of the earth, 
country after country after country, continent after continent. Visiting the saints to do one thing, to build the ark. What is that? Noah's ark is what we call a type, meaning it's a symbol of Christ. It's a symbol of Christ. And when we speak of being in the ark today, we mean Christ with the church, the corporate Christ. In the local churches represented here, Cyprus, Bulletin, Orange, Anaheim, wherever else, excuse me if I don't mention your place, we're all doing the same thing. It seems, oh, we're just having meetings and we have a conference and then we have a training. These are the outward practices. What we're doing is we're building an ark. Every breath I take is to keep me here for the building of the ark. That's the building up of the church as the body of Christ. And when this ark is built, when the building work is done, that will be exactly the time when the judgment will start on this generation. And the ark with the saints, the victorious saints inside, will save us from this generation and bring us into a thousand-year kingdom on the earth. It's easy for me to say, although it's real for me to say, although I hardly know anybody here, but I can truly say before the Lord's face, I love you. I love you. I love you as much as I love my own daughter and sons, my own grand sons and daughter. I love you in the Lord. It's because I love you that I don't want to see you waste your life and miss the reward. I'm not asking you to do anything beyond your capacity right now. I'm not asking you to change anything outwardly. Just consider with the Lord, one-on-one, of whether or not you will make this decision. Lord, I choose to live for God's purpose. I make the decision. Only by your mercy and grace can I do this. But this is my decision. You have come to me like a young man proposing to the woman he loves. You are proposing to me to live to you so I could be at your wedding feast. So now I'm on the receiving end. I have to decide. Will I accept the proposal. Twelve is not too young. 
No age is too late. But the sooner you make the decision, the sooner the heavens will be opened and the blessings will flow on you. That's regarding living to the Lord. Then you need to see the generation that you're in to realize how evil it is, how ungodly it is. And it's not going to get better. I know in the young heart, you want to help others to help improve. We can't improve it. We're in like the days of Noah. But if you present yourself to the Lord to live in the church life with the goal of building the ark, we will all be saved. We'll help one another be saved. We will encourage one another. We will supply one another. We will pray for one another. We will minister to one another. We will fight for one another because we are doing the very thing God created the universe for. He wants the church as his corporate expression. Lord, this is what we're doing. We're living for your purpose. We're being saved from this generation. So may these two thoughts lodge in you, even if you don't want them to, although I don't sense resistance. Even if you don't want them to, or you don't memorize them, may they sink deep in you and may the Spirit bring to your remembrance. Live to the Lord. Live to the Lord. In making this decision, live to the Lord. In deciding whether or not to date this person, live to the Lord. Live to the Lord. As you're living a normal human life, The Lord said in Matthew 24, referring to his coming, two women were grinding at the mill. They're grinding the grain to have flour. And one was taken. The other was left. Two men were in the field farming. One was taken. The other was left. The Lord used Ordinary human life. Here are two women. Here are two men. They're just doing the ordinary daily things. Necessary for their existence. But the two women are different. And the two men are different. Because the two women are grinding. But one of them inwardly is living to the Lord. She's saved from this generation. She's building the ark. She's loving the Lord. The other one just lives for herself. The two men are in their jobs. Outwardly doing the same kind of thing. But there's an inward difference. One is living to the Lord, loving the Lord, enjoying the Lord, praying for the Lord to come back. The other is just living for here and now. I long to be one of those men that's taken 
I want you to be among those that are taken. That's when the ark will sail out. So now I leave this to you. I believe before the Lord. I've released what he wanted to release. I consider this for some weeks. I consider this gathering precious and important. I didn't just devote some time to it 15 minutes before I came. I pondered this for weeks. And a couple of weeks ago, the burden came so clearly. Live to the Lord. Be saved from this generation. Sisters, live to the Lord. Be saved from this generation. Brothers, live to the Lord. Be saved from this generation. May the Lord show you what this means. May the Lord bless you and preserve you. And may we all build the ark and sail together into the coming kingdom. Praise the Lord.